Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I've actually figured out who the most boring footballer is. Is it not James Milner? No, I think it's Tony Kroos. Tony Kroos? Why? Oh, Have you seen Tony Kroos' tattoos though? That might change your mind. No, see, I think that makes it worse. The hideous. Yeah. I think he's... Of the isn't, tattoos. Isn't, his, isn't his kid on his arm? He's got he's got his children's faces <laughs> tattooed on his arm, and they're so bad that it actually gives him some kind of character and personality. I think because nobody who's truly boring could ever get a tattoo that bad. Well, <laughs> Lionel Messi has a tattoo of his mum on his back. That's pretty bad. Really? Mm -hmm. It's my favorite footballer tattoo. Okay, here to talk football is me, Ian McCourt, along with Deutsche Welle's Ali Moody and Nick McKenna Klein. Hello. Good morning. Before we get cracking on the football, I looked like I caught you by surprise there. Yeah, you did kind of. I wasn't saying both names I, at the same I, I was, time. I was putting my phone on silent. <laughs> Change of format. Well, you know, I like to keep a bit of a bit of spark to it. Every once, to wake us up at the start. Yeah, yeah. Every every once in a while. Anyway, you interrupted my promotional talk. Before we get cracking on the football, let's have some <laughs> iTunes talk wherever you are in the world. Please go to your local iTunes store. Give us that rating. Give us a comment to let us know what you think of the pod. As ever, it would be most appreciated. Now, some of the more interesting news this week has centred around managerial changes. Thomas Tuchel has, as we expected, gone from Dortmund. And Ernesto Valverde has, as expected, been appointed manager of Barcelona. Uh, let's start with Tuchel and then Nick can tell us all that he's learned about Valverde over the last few days. No surprise? No, no surprise whatsoever. Um, even with the, the cup final win. You know, some people thought maybe if he wins, he has the success and they persevere with it. Um, it was clear in advance that the the breakdown in the relationship was just too severe. Um, and it's emerged over the last few days that he lost the dressing room a bit. Yeah, some of the some of the key players, particularly going back to the Klopp era, um, had had very much lost faith in him, um, or perhaps weren't enamoured with his methods. Um, I think Klopp is kind of a. a an important character in this whole story because he was such a unique and iconic coach for Dortmund that his ghost kind of hangs over the club. It, it is. That's what I see it as, like a club hangover. Yeah, and club. actually um, Hans-Joachim Welsker, the uh, CEO of uh, Dortmund, wrote the fans an open letter to explain in part why um, Tuchel was sacked. And he actually mentions Klopp in it and says that it's not that we expect to have that kind of relationship with every coach. We realise that was a one-of-a-kind kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the, the rest of the, the letter kind of just sums up the, the breakdown in the, in the relationship there. He says that he and the other directors had knackered themselves out, essentially, uh, trying to put up with Tuchel's um, micromanaging style, mm -hmm. his, his demands and whatnot. His um, high maintenance. He's basically high maintenance. Yeah, but I think, it's, I think it goes both ways as well. I think... Um, you know, Tuchel will have been quite clear about what he wanted when he took the job at Dortmund. Um, obviously, both sides thought they could put up with the other and have ended up realising that they can't. It's kind of a shame for Tuchel because I think the, the project, as it is, was developing there. Obviously, they lost a few key players, uh, a few big players from the Klopp era as well, last summer and replaced them with younger players like Dembele. Um, and now he's not going to get the chance to push that on beyond one season not going to get the chance to try and take uh, take over Leipzig again and, and, and challenge Bayern. Um, I think he's proven Tuchel that he's a coach who can win things, obviously, with winning the cup. Um, Dortmund as well last season, let's not forget, I think with the best ever um, 
second place team in the Bundesliga, the highest points total that a team had ever achieved without winning the league. Um, so he's proven that he can put a good title challenge together. He's proven that he can manage a, a good Champions League club. Um, and Quarterfinals of the Champions League has been respected too. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Especially with that squad yeah. this yeah. year. No, absolutely. And think, all that went on with that I squad. think he's done a good yeah. job. Um, I think he's still got things to prove beyond that though. Mm-hmm. Um, that he can push a project beyond a couple of years yeah. um, without uh, f- falling into state of disrepair with the, with the club and uh, actually winning a league title as well of course was it a similar breakdown of Mainz yeah I mean the club Mainz warned Dortmund that that's the way Tuchel is and that's why I don't, I don't really understand why it is the way it is Vatska knew the coach he was getting he wanted to have Tuchel as a coach so I mean two years ago it wasn't as if it was Tuchel was the, the nice guy everyone knew that he's a bit, a bit of a, an asshole. And there's no two ways around it. I mean, players say he's not—he's just not friendly, which is fine. I mean, he's, he's your boss, he's your coach. Vatska knew what was coming, and it just seems weird to me that after two years they've kind of given up on a what's been a very successful project. I mean, this, he is points per game by, by points per game standards. He's the best coach Dortmund have ever had. And with the squad they have this year, losing Mkhitaryan, Hummels and Gundogan last summer, with all the kids they have, what's happened this year is to still win the German Cup and. I mean, Tuchel was also unbeaten at the best Valen Stadion in the league, unbeaten in the cup. He's had a he's had a good stretch over the two years, and I just think it's 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 an attitude. It's it's, it's I think it's Vatska's arrogance as well to a certain extent. It's um, but because he's the the bigger of the two bosses, he's allowed to say fine, you're leaving. Whereas Tuchel had no ground to stand on, and that's I I personally I said on Saturday after the cup final when I was on, um, working for DW, I said that I hope. That winning the cup will bring the two, bring them all back together. You know, you know they realize how good they are and and get over their differences. But not they quite. didn't. <laughs> what I noticed is that the club released a statement saying, "Yeah, we're not really going to talk about it." You know, wish them the best of luck, blah blah blah. And then all of a sudden, Vatska has this has this long letter detailing exactly what they weren't going to say. Yeah, I thought that as well. And um, supposedly part of Tuchel's severance uh, package, um, like part of the money, part of the reason he got the money that he got, is that he. Did he get a lot of money? Uh, not a huge 2. amount, 5, really. It's only, uh, only about million? three million. Yeah, yeah. Not much, but, is it? But really? he's got one year left of his contract. I mean, for a year's worth of not working, I wouldn't mind having three years. Three yeah, million. it could be worse. Couldn't get, it? get sacked and get three million. I'm more than open to getting sacked for three million. <laughs> Supposedly, part of that is that he doesn't then go off and slander the club. That he doesn't go off and talk about Dortmund or Vatska or any of those people. Yeah, and then Vatska comes out yeah. with a. a Letter to the fans where he says, "Yeah, we wore ourselves out trying to put up with him." Okay, so I think it's a little bit sort of two-faced from Dortmund. That mm. um, shall we move on? I mean, he's there's talk of him going to Leverkusen. There's talk of him going to Roma. Oh wow! Uh-huh. Uh, that, those are the two clubs I've heard. I mean, if he goes to Leverkusen, I find that quite interesting because that's a club which he could probably do some, actually do good, could do a good job at. Roma, I find incredibly interesting. I mean, now that Spalletti's gone. Well, you not have the same problem that he's had in Germany? That he's going to have the he's same problem. Bayern for Juve, basically. Yeah, but I mean, he's going he's to have the problem no matter where he goes. I mean, he has to prove that he can be he, that he can coach a team to, to to be number one in the country. Mm-hmm. And you know, so not uh, Rome, then. Well, not at this not at this rate, no. But he could there. He's got a project again. He could do the same as he's done, as done at Dortmund. He can set things up. He's got good kids coming through. Kai Havertz, for example, that seventeen year old. Mm-hmm. Um, who's still writing his, his A-levels essentially while, while scoring Bundesliga goals. What a jerk. Don't you wish that, with that we'd been able to do that? I hate young people. <laughs> but Tuchel could really do that in Leverkusen. He could set something up and if he's given the time, I think that he's actually, he'd be able to get a team. But it's Leverkusen, isn't it? And, uh, <laughs> we, we've seen, yeah, we've seen so many good coaches go through Leverkusen, <clears throat> show some promise and then not 
managed to get across the line. Well, Ro- Roma could be interesting if he's working with Monchi too. Roma would mm. be a really Roma interesting one. I'd interesting. love to see that. Yep. Anyway, Nick, what have you learned about uh, Ernesto Valverde over the last few days? You promised I you did. promised us when we were talking about the <coughs> pre-pot that you would learn a couple of things. I did. Um, so maybe you want to do like a fun facts type of section. Fun facts? Okay, well, the man, he's 53. Yeah. Start with that. Uh, he's that is play- fun. He, uh, it is fun. He played for Barcelona. From '88 till to 1990, so he's returning to the club 20 years, 27 years after win, after being there. Lovely. Interesting enough, he moved from Espanyol to Barcelona. He, the only Oof. two other players mm-hmm. since then have done that. One was, uh, well, wherever got it, it did it, did it. Um, Jonathan Soriano, who never actually played for Barcelona. He, Jonathan Soriano played, went on to play for Red Bull Salzburg, um, and there was somebody else in the mid '90s. But it doesn't happen all too often that somebody moves from Espanyol to to Barca. But uh, Valverde did. Um, he won the Copa del Rey in 1990 at uh, Barcelona and also won the Cup Winners' Cup with Gary Lineker in 1989. Nice. Hmm. Um, you forget Gary Lineker played for Barcelona. Yeah. True, actually. Yeah. Especially last year when it was just Leicester, Leicester, Leicester. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the last four years at Bilbao, he's qualified for the Champions League and for the Europa League, or for Europe every single season. First season was Champions League. Yeah. Um, so he's done actually quite well. He's been consistent as well, finishing fourth, seventh, fifth and seventh. Um, I don't know if Barcelona would be happy with finishing fourth, seven, fifth, and seventh. Well, but it's a different, it's a different team. I mean, you, can't, you can't compare Atlético Bilbao to to, um, <laughs> to Barcelona. Um, but what what he's got, which is good for Barcelona, is he likes to blood young players. So he's got he, in the two years since he's been there, he's brought in uh, Iñaki Williams, who is uh, the first black player to score for Atlético Bilbao. Mm-hmm. But because wow. Bilbao have this this uh, rule, well, unwritten rule that players from the Basque Country need to, to play for the club, and mm-hmm. he's uh, the the son of immigrants, and he was born in the, in the area, so he's actually the first black player to, to score a goal for the club fantastic um, one thing which is also good for Barcelona in, is that um, Valverde likes to well adapts the way his teams play to, to the players he has so for example at Bilbao um, he adapted to <clears throat> have to have a, to create a threat, an aerial threat with uh, Raul Garcia and Artis uh, sorry my Spanish isn't particularly good so Oli can correct me on this mm. Aritz Aduriz yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think it, well, it's a Basque name, so yeah. it's pronounced like differently. But yeah, Ari Tharuriz was would be how I'd say that. Okay, that's not what I said, but it sounds good. Um, so they, they, they've Nailed got an aerial threat. So he adapted his his uh, his formation to to work for them. So I think moving to Barcelona is it's it's a, it's a good move for him and for the club. He's, the club wants to have him a couple of times. Um, this is, I think, one of the I think the third time they they wanted to have him. The first time where the club didn't actually ask. Um, Ask him to join was when Pep Guardiola left the club. He was the first. He was one of the two recommendations. One was Tito Villanova, and the other one was uh, was Valverde. Recommended by Pep himself, by, exactly by yeah. Pep himself. Um, and then again, when um, Villanova got sick, the mm-hmm. club kind of just knocked on his door and asked and said, "Look, what's 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 the situation? Could you come and join us uh, if he gets if it gets worse?" And then when Val, when uh, Villanova said he'd rather continue, then um, Valverde went back to Bilbao. And again, when um, Tata Martino left Barcelona. He was. Uh, they asked if he wanted to join the club, and see, he's a man of his word. So when he when he signs a contract, he's he's going to fulfil it. And uh, so he didn't move to Barcelona at the time. Madrid wants to have him as well. Uh, they were. He was his first choice for the for the club when Rafa Benitez joined. So he was a wanted man. And I think, judging by what I found out of the last couple of days, the kind of person that he is, he's he's not big. He doesn't like the spotlight. He's very much. Uh, he works hard. I think stands behind his team, but he's got no problem with. Uh, yelling at the superstars if he needs to 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 make a point and mm-hmm. I think he's actually a good fit for Barcelona 
What should I just from listening to to what you say there? What should excite Barcelona fans most is that he likes to bring through young players. Yeah, because that's, that's really what's been missing from the kind of Barcelona over the last few seasons. I think under Enrique, they've been great to watch going forward, and they've got uh, Messi, Suarez, and Neymar, and that's lovely to watch. But I don't find it as exciting as when they had that team that was almost completely homegrown. Mm. That to me was. Astounding. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, I don't want to make a lazy comparison between the Basque Country and Catalonia, but um, but the fact that yeah, but the fact that he's been forced over the last few years by this this policy that Athletic have to only play players from the the area, you know, that is something that has disappeared a little bit from Barcelona since the you know from the from the Pep days to to today's team, um, and perhaps that will push into look more at the Catalan, the homegrown players in the youth ranks and to try and bring them through as opposed to going big money for, I mean, you know, when the last year they spent, what was it, 30 odd million on Andre Gomez? Mm-hmm. Could they not have found someone better within their own ranks? I'm pretty sure they could have. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think it's um, interesting as well because under Luis Enrique, um, you know, a lot of people said that Barcelona kind of come away from their usual playing style mm-hmm. um they they weren't focusing on passing if you look at the passing diagrams from the Enrique era especially this season compared to uh the the heyday under Pep um they're totally different they're not playing through the midfield they're not dominating the central midfield area like they were before um and I, it's important that Valverde it, his time at Barcelona was I think during the the Cruyff era um so it's not just that he played for a Barcelona team um he played in Christ Barcelona, which is what the, you know, the, is laid all the groundwork for mm-hmm. modern Barcelona. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about Barcelona getting back to their identity. And I think Valverde will understand that very well. He understands the sort of the regional importance of the club, especially not only from, from his time at Barcelona, but from what he did at Athletic as well. And um, he, he knows kind of how the groundwork was laid for the modern day club that is Barcelona. And, and so I think, um, he based on those things, I think he could bring back the kind of style that Barcelona fans actually want to see again. The kind of thing you're talking about, where yeah. it's not just lump it forward to mm-hmm. Neymar, Suarez, and Messi, but actually get back to dominating that midfield. Lump it forward, playing the pretty football <laughs> of Barcelona. But yeah, okay, maybe that's a little bit strong. Sorry, Luis. He's also a published uh, photographer. Yes, yeah, his hobby, essentially, yeah. an amateur photographer. It's apparently, something which he started when he first moved to Barcelona. Um, it's wonderful, isn't it? Well, it's, it is nice. It, it seems being creative is a good thing. Hmm? I think I, f- I find it's... I didn't uh, mean that sarcastically. Oh, it did come across a bit sarcastically. Did it? I, I did I a little. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it's wonderful. It is nice. I'd love to see some of Ernesto's Well, maybe work. you could order the book on Amazon. Maybe I could. Or I could just it was it. described by the Basque poet and writer Bernardo Atasha as at once delicate and tough, as if produced by two different hands. That's a very Basque thing to say. It's lovely, isn't yeah. it? I love the Spanish... Mm-hmm. Bit of bit of flair, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, with the domestic scene out of the way, it's time to focus on the European one and this weekend's Champions League final. I was reading Marca the other day; you'll be interested to know, and they made three interesting points as to why it might not be Madrid's year. These that are doesn't sound like Marca. Well, let's <laughs> listen up now. Hear what they have to say. Real Madrid have not won the Champions League in an odd year this century. That's mm-hmm. one. That's one reason. Okay. okay. Number two, history tells you it's time for an Italian side to win it, as one has been champion every seven years. The last was uh, Inter Milan in 2017. 
Milan did it in 2003 and Juventus in 1996. Into Milan in, in 2010, you mean? 2010, what did I say? 2017. 2017, no, 2010. <laughs> <laughs> and three, Even 2017. three, this is the most important. As the away side, Real Madrid will wear purple and they have lost twice this season in their changed strip. Yeah, you've convinced me. I'm so what do you make of all that? You're taking convinced? out all my savings, all 20 euros and uh, putting out on Juve to win. Okay, <laughs> enough of that sort of uh, nonsense. Um, I, I have some are other reasons. Are you excited? Reasons. I have some other reasons. I think okay, well, let's Juve go with that then. We'll yeah. win. Um, they, I mean, they lost their last final against Real Madrid, but since then they've actually got quite a good record against Real in the Champions League. They've mm-hmm. beaten them in two semifinals. Yes. Including two years ago. Uh, the other one was that final they lost to Milan in 2003. They beat Real in the semifinal before that. Um, they also knocked them out of the last 16 yes, uh, round mm-hmm. in that time too. Yeah. Um, so they actually do have a pretty good record against Real. But on top of that, you know, you look at the, the defence, the fact that they've been so tight all season. Um, I think this is probably Zidane's biggest test as a coach so far. I know you had Atletico in the final last year and you could say that, but um, if you look at the the last big test that he had, which would probably be uh, Barcelona at home in the league, the match that could have wrapped up the league title for them, they ultimately failed that. Um, I think Juve look the more together kind of outfit. They look the more sleek kind of tactical outfit. Um, I've been impressed with them every time I've watched them. Whatever the challenge, they've always absolutely nailed it. Um, Real have obviously been excellent at times, but I wouldn't say the same thing about them. And yeah, I just think Juve have, Juve look like a team that will be champions of Europe this year. I'd counteract all your very nice, intelligent points by just saying Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm. And what Ah, an absolute scoring machine he has been. Sure, he's pretty confident too. He was talking. The other, was it yesterday? He was talking, uh, saying, "Yeah, we're going to win." That that was it. Yeah, we're going to win. <laughs> what do you expect him to say? Well, that's true. <laughs> he is the world's most confident man. You can just be in press conference. Hmm, we might win. Not known for his modesty. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Of, hmm, <laughs> could be tough. <laughs> but that's one of the, the key battles, isn't it? Ronaldo against uh, Gigi. Yes. One. Uh, that's one of the the ones that everyone's going to be looking out for. Um, yeah, Ronaldo's been sensational in the Champions League this year, but so has the entire Juve defence and, and, and Buffon. And so this is probably the, the toughest challenge that he'll have faced um, keep, recently. Keep in mind that, that Juve have only conceded three goals in this tournament. Mm. And, I mean, one was, to, one was to Sevilla, the other was to Monaco, and I've forgotten who the third was to. And the Monaco one, I mean, essentially they had the tie wrapped up. Yeah. You know, they, they, they were going through. And, okay, they conceded one to Mbappe, I think, wasn't it? But... Um, yeah, but yeah, it wasn't as though the goal actually meant anything. And even when it was scored, it was kind of like, oh, well, that's a shame. And they didn't they didn't concede a goal in 180 minutes against Barcelona, which is highly unusual. So I mean, that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think what what Juve have 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 going for them this year is is the fact that they've always been good in defence, but they're actually good at attacking now as well. So they've got both aspects of the game going for them. Their back line was. It's a sensational and has been for a very long time. I'd love it. I'd love it if Gigi Buffon went off the pitch this year with a Champions League medal because he deserves it. But Danny Alves, for example, I mean, he didn't quite fit at the club at the beginning, but since was it since the new year, he's been absolutely sensational for the club. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's, it's all phenomenal in the Champions League. Well, that too, yeah. Also in the Copa, what was it? Um, Copa, Copa Italia, Italia two mm-hmm. weeks ago. 
against Lazio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, he's just it's been sensational, and, and that's another one of the key battles. The fullbacks, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the fullbacks generally, the wingbacks generally, but um, especially Alves against Marcelo, because mm-hmm. of course they've got history. They've got a long-running kind of you know battle going back to Alves's days at Barca. Um, and I think we we said on the podcast a few weeks ago when we were talking about this, perhaps after the semis, that Alves is, has been the best right back or right wing back in world football for probably a decade. And Marcelo yeah. has probably been the best left full back or left wing back in that time as well. With the exception of James Milner. With the exception, of course, yeah. <laughs> let's not forget. Who apparently, is, according to you, is not as boring as Tony Kroos. No. Nope. But um, anyway, so Alves against Marcelo. We've seen it obviously many times in Classicos and I can't wait to watch it in, in this final because I think that's going to be a, a massive battle. I find Alves int- intriguing because he's, I mean, he's 34. He's one of the oldest guys in, <clears throat> in Juve's squad. Minus Is he 34? 34. Yes. Mm-hmm. My goodness. And he, he plays better than most of the young guys. It's, 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 it's amazing to watch him just run, gun up and down, uh, down the wings. That you, some other 34-year-olds mm-hmm. who are supposed to be speedy. Wayne Rooney, for example. How old is he? 31? 31, yeah. Yeah, he's 31. He's slow. I mean, it's a different position, but it's but it's just, he's he's done. His, his body's shot. Whereas Alves, uh, where's <clears throat> Danny Alves, he just keeps going, keep going, keeps going, keep going. It's amazing. I'm really looking forward to that on Saturday. So we've picked out we've picked out Alves, Marcelo, Ronaldo, Buffon as sort of key players for it all. Anybody else you think could influence? Yeah, I mean, a, a slightly different kind of battle, but perhaps. But uh, I think it'd be really interesting to see Dybala against Isco in oh, terms yeah. of. That kind of you know creativity and, and dominating that midfield area. Um, it does depend slightly on whether Isco plays, but frankly, after the last couple of months, Zidane is fully mad if he doesn't start Isco ahead of Bale. Ahead, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at how Real have played over the last couple of months with Isco pulling the strings. It's... Even if even if Bale is say ninety percent fit, you well, would play Isco ahead of him. Well, one of the things that Zidane has said in the build-up to the final is that Isco and Bale can play together. Whether they do or not is another matter. But he's, well, he's they, laying they the ground will, yeah. to say it's not necessarily a choice between one or the other. I can mm-hmm. have both. Um, so I, I do think Isco will start. I think, yeah. Again, if you look at how he's played, if you look at how he played against Atleti as well, um, he was for me one of the best Real players in 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 the tie. Um, and he's got to do a similar kind of job to Dybala in terms of you know playing sort of between the lines, um, creating things for for the forward in front of him. For Isco, obviously, it's, it's Ronaldo. For Dybala, it'll be Higuain, um, who's another player who's got a very big game coming up. But yeah, so it's a different kind of battle. It's not like a head-to-head like with the other guys. I don't think Dybala and Isco are going to be competing for the ball a lot, um, to put it one way, but... Uh, they're, they're trying to do the same kind of job and it's going to be interesting to see who comes out on top in that one. There's quite a few interesting storylines too when you think about Iguain going up against his former club, Kadira going up against his former club, Buffon trying to win the Champions League for the first time. Scandalous that he hasn't won it before. Uh, I really think, you know, sometimes you think about Champions League finals, you're like, okay, not mm. that exciting. This one I think is actually going to be a bit of a cracker. I am excited for it. What do you think about <clears throat> Juventus losing their last four finals they've been in? I mean, they've lost six all together. Yes. Is that going to be bearing in their minds when they when they take them to the pitch on Saturday? I don't know how much that affects players. I think... Most of those players only played in one. Yeah, one, finals, they would have only played in one. I, we, I think when we look at games, we often think of, you know, the weight of history and, and that sort of thing. And we look back and go, oh, they, you know, Juventus have lost six. And I don't know how much players think about that when they actually go onto the pitch. I mean, Danny Alves... 
presumably is not going to be thinking about that too much, given that he's won a few yeah. Champions Leagues already at Barcelona. Um, I, no, would, I would have thought Iguain proving Madrid wrong, or say Kadira proving Madrid wrong that they're you know wrong to let them go. That to me would seem like more motivation. For Iguain as well, I think you know he's got a, a bit of a reputation as being a, a big game bottler, um, in partly yeah. due to the uh, the World Cup final. Where he, he missed one brilliant chance and oh, scored another, so, but was ruled out for offside. That's so harsh. It's so harsh. It's but so harsh. He's he's done it a few times in in big games where he's not quite come out. And this season looks to be different. This season, he has come up with big goals in the Champions League, especially, um, and doing it against his old club in the final of the Champions League would be the best way to knock those bottler uh, accusations on the head. And yeah, Kadira, like you say as well. Um, Trying to remember now, I don't think he left left Real Madrid under the best of circumstances. I feel like there was a bit of a cloud over it at the time. Like he hadn't, he he wasn't keen on the way he'd been treated. But I can't because he wasn't sure. he wasn't really playing that often, was he? Wasn't that the problem? Mm. He was he was always being put on the bench, yeah, um, primarily for Ronaldo. But okay, well let's. Oh, I'm going to wait. I mm. want a prediction from both of you. Let's talk with Nima first. The final big league in Europe came to an end on Sunday with Serie A bowing out for the summer. Here to talk about that is Goal and Sempre Inter's Nima Tavile. Nima, the final day was toddy day. Did you shed a tear like everybody else in Italy on the day? Yeah, I, I thought, I mean, I, I was on, uh, I was there at San Siro when Javier Zanetti, Cambiasso and Samuel and Lito had their goodbye. And I thought that was emotional and beautiful, but Totti's was just, it was other level stuff. It was, it was the most beautiful farewell I think I've ever seen in, in, in sports. It was incredibly emotional, but it was also very sincere. Like Totti's letter, especially when, when he said like, damn time. Uh, cause you know, that, that entire letter was just so beautiful. And I, I thought it was, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was, it didn't feel choreographed, at least not to me. It felt really sincere. And, and, uh, I thought it was beautiful. For those who missed out, maybe you could just give them like a quick flavor of the scene at the at the Stadio Olimpico on Sunday. Well, um, I, I was unfortunately not there, but I have I had a friend who was there who described it to me and said that he was like it was it was the most amazing thing he's ever seen. Uh, he's not even a Roma fan. Uh, he he basically what he said was that the you know every everything that happened after the game when he came out and he you know he walked around and. Uh, applauded all the fans and everyone, and, and uh, you know, got a commemorative plaque from uh, from the, from Roma and, and from other some other people, and and then also giving the captain's armband. I think that that particular that moment was truly beautiful when he gave the, his captain's armband to uh, to the captain of I think it's the under like tens or twelve the team of, of Roma and. and and, and then to watch his kids go, I mean, it was, it was so beautiful. It was incredible. And then he read, he read that letter, which he had written to, to, to all the fans. And, uh, it was, it was incredible. It's all out on Roma's uh, English homepage. Uh, they, they, they really did an amazing job covering that. So I can really recommend everyone to go there. So 786 games for Roma, 307 goals, six trophies. Where do you think he stands in the, the pantheon of Serie A greats? Well, 
he's an institution in Italian football. I, I, you know, he's for me. Obviously, it's down to taste as well. I, 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 for me, the greatest Italian football player I've ever seen in, in my lifetime, in my opinion, is Roberto Baggio. He's no Roberto Baggio, but uh, I think that if you look at what he's done. Um, his entire career and, and up until playing until he's 40 and still scoring goals and still being, you know, okay, maybe not the last two years he's been that great, but up until like two seasons ago, he, he still was scoring goals and important goals. And for me, I mean, he's, he's the only uh, opposition player I've seen at the San Siro. Uh, that has given me goosebumps because he's so damn good. And there's been a couple of, I've had the great privilege of seeing one or two really good players at the San Siro, but Totti against, uh, against Inter uh, three seasons ago when he scored two goals and uh, he assisted the third one where he humiliated Alvaro Pereira is, is, is one of the most, one of the greatest experiences of my life to having had the great honor to watch this guy live. He's unbelievable. So I think he's definitely up there with, with Baggio. Definitely. And it's Sunday's pre-game choreography in the curve so described that um, or declared that Totti is Roma. It's so hard to imagine the two of them apart. Uh, what do you think is going to happen though? I mean, he's has he been offered a sporting director role? Is that right? Well, I mean, there was a video that was leaked uh, from his private celebrations or his private, you know, afterwards when he was cutting a cake and he was asked about his future and by his close friends and he said that I'm going to continue playing. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to quit. Uh, whether or not that's true, uh, you know, if that was just one of those spur of the moment things that remains to be seen. But yes, he is Roma. Uh, I mean, there's a famous phrase, Totti a Roma, Roma e Totti. That's, that's just true. He's going to be a part of Roma's directorial setup. I think he would be the perfect and ultimate vice president in a role similar to the one that Javier Zanetti has at Inter. I think he would be he would be fantastic at that. Okay, so with the with the league over, the attention turns to Saturday's Champions League final between Juventus and Real Madrid. What's the what's the feeling like in Turin? Do you think they're nervous or or is there a sense that this is their season? This I think they're really, really looking forward to it. This is I think they they the feeling I've gotten from listening to the players and listening to Allegri talk is that they, they feel that this is their shot. This is their chance to finally repeat the, 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 hair, the, the thing that's been stuck in their throats since 2010 when Inter won the treble, and that is to win the treble. And, and I think they feel that they've got an ultimate chance to, to do that. They've got a really good chance to do that. So I think, in my opinion, I think they're, Really, they're feeling really confident, in my opinion. I mean, of course, the match is being stereotyped as a, you know, the Italian defence against a full of flair Spanish attack. Is that how you see it panning out? No, I think that's a bit. Uh, of course, Juve's defence is from this world class. It's the best in the world, and they have a, the best goalkeeper in the world as well. That's, there's no doubt about that. But I think to to not acknowledge the flair and genius of Dybala. The, the speed and, uh, you, you know, and, and energy and, and crossing of Dani Alves and Cuadrado, and the work rate of Mandzukic and Higuain up there poaching, uh, you know, I think that's, that's, that's really, really, really unfair. Sure, they haven't conceded that many goals, to be honest, Juventus, and they haven't lost a single game, 
but um, they they're much more than a defensive side. I think that 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 would be really selling them short. Um, other than the you know the kind of obvious ones, the Ronaldo's, the Benzema's, etc. Is there anybody that Juventus will be particularly worried about? I think they need to watch out for Marcelo and Dani, Dani Carvajal. I think the fullbacks, Real Madrid's fullbacks, are going to cause uh, all sorts of problems, especially Marcelo because he's. He's been sensational this season, and he can, you know, we've seen that he can basically, uh, he can decide a match on his own if he's having, if he's, if he feels, if he gets that feeling that okay, I'm going to run here and, you know, I'm just going to attack. Uh, they they need to shut down their wings. That's the most important thing uh, for you, in my opinion. I think they really need to control Real Madrid's wings, their, their wing play on, on both the right and the left. I mean, you've got Ronaldo and Marcelo. Or if he plays on the right, you got Carvajal. I mean, it, 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 Bale is fit. I mean, it, their wings are just lethal. Um, and uh, if if Zidane, because I've I've seen stuff that Zidane, I've seen some reports from Spain that Zidane might be playing a four three one two, and that that would be really interesting because then we will have a much more centralized and central uh, approach to the game, which could which I think would just play right into uh, Juventus' hands. But uh, we'll see what happens. But I think that, you know, they need to control the wings. That's what they need to do. They need to control those wings. And finally, Nima, a quick prediction before we let you go. You know, uh, when Allegri was appointed uh, three seasons ago, I I I had the feeling that he was going to win the treble in his first season because that would be the ultimate revenge for him after being so unfairly ridiculed in Italy. Uh, and also by the Juventus fans when he took over, they were like, "Oh, after Conte, we get this guy." I, I, I think I was off two years. I, I really can't. In my opinion, I think they're gonna, they're gonna frustrate Real Madrid. They're gonna lock them. They're gonna tactically, like they did similarly to Barcelona, but but much more uh, directly. I think they will just lock Real Madrid, and then Dybala and will hurt them with his. With his vision, his genius, his his his, his pace. Uh, so I think two nil, two one to uh, Juventus, uh, DiBala and Higuain, and uh, and uh, assisted by Dani Alves for both goals, of course, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Cristiano Ronaldo will will get one for for uh, Real Madrid. That was friend of the podcast, Nima Tavale from Sempre Inter and Goal. Um, you want to make a point here? Yeah, when you said Totty Day there, I thought yeah. that is the sort of thing that a stag do in Magaluf would have, a Totty Day, <laughs> a Banter Day, you know. <laughs> it does sound um, like that. But no, Nima, I thought, was, was spot on with his prediction. I would say the same 2-1 to Juve. Okay. I was going to delay that, but you've rolled right jumped into it. Jumped straight in. You jumped straight in. Before I get your prediction, Nick <laughs> Mechanic Line, I couldn't watch the Roma stuff. I've been a big Toddy fan for years. Too emotional? I, I'm an absolute crybaby. Like, literally, I cry if, like, you know, if you see those sort of things on the internet where, like, a dog welcomes home a returning soldier, <laughs> I am in floods of tears. Like, I, I'm gone. Literally gone with and within seconds. Or like there was this beautiful video of Zabaleta uh, surprising fans. Oh god! Did, I saw did that. you see this with the with the, with kid? the kid? Oh, oh god! Yeah. 
That I came out of nowhere as well because they had a few fans, didn't they? Right. And, you know, the, the other and reactions were nice, nice but, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Not, not sort of like too and emotional. The kid. And then the kid, and it's, if you read the story about it as well, oh. like how he visited him in hospital yeah. when he was really, really sick. And then Zabaleta was crying too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. oh that set me off. <laughs> that really is yeah, that. But no, Totti's letter, what, uh, what you mentioned before. Yeah. That, that was beautiful. That as was well. interesting because I mean, my, my knowledge of Italian is pretty minimal, but I was still sat there thinking, wow, this is amazing. I could feel myself mm. tearing up when Nima was talking. Yeah. Anyway. The, the vulnerability that Totti expressed in that letter is what really made it emotional. Yeah, you know? when he said, like, I don't know where I go from here uh, for the yeah, first what, time. What do I, I do? I leave and I don't know what the future holds. Well, it's basically it's, been his life for the last. Yeah. 30 odd years or whatever. It's great because it's, it's not the sort of thing that, you know, because Dottie's like a, a man's man kind of figure right. as well. It's mm-hmm. not the sort of thing you usually get from them, certainly in the English game. Yeah. You can, uh, there was a. Compare that with a certain. John Terry's, mm-hmm. you know, oh, goodbye God. where he okay, said, yeah, if I want to come off in the 26th minute oh. or 28th minute, I will. <laughs> but yeah, so Dottie, okay. beautiful job. Nick, your prediction? Because Ollie has ruined it already. <laughs> well, I was going to say 2 1 as well, but I'm going to say in 120 minutes, going to go into extra time. Okay. I'm also going to go Juventus. And maybe, house. and maybe you'll be back next week to talk about this and see how wrong we were <laughs> okay that's all we have time for my thanks to Ollie, Nick, Nima and our producer Damien and thanks to you for listening Bye.